You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Fits, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, daily YouTube videos, and I'm a longtime podcaster. Also, I have metastatic stage four prostate cancer that came out of remission in January. During the 2020 pandemic, my doctors advised me to stay at home, and the Life of Fits podcast was born. Four years later, I'm back in my cancer fight and continuing this podcast, calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I have met throughout my 35 years in this industry. And now I'm adding in some new friends to my call list. And of course, I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. At some point in my career, I got old. I used to be the young guy on the Kansas State beat, but I stuck around so long, and the nature of the media realm has changed so much. I saw my older colleagues, well, get weeded out. And here I am, clearly the oldest person covering Kansas State sports as independent media. And nothing makes you feel older than when the guys that were young when you were on the beat, start to get old. And that's exactly what I witnessed with John Kurtz. John was a student. That's how I first got to know him. He was interning at K-Man, 1350 AM, one of the flagship stations of the Kansas State Sports Network. He eventually moved up, and John became a prominent figure in K-State sports coverage. And we all knew he was headed to greatness. He's just got that voice. He's got that delivery. But John's break never came. And unfortunately, and I was very sad to see it, he decided to leave K-Man and presumably step out of day-to-day sports media. But the evolving nature of the media world offered him another opportunity. Starting up a YouTube channel that has absolutely thrived, discussing the topic of Big 12 expansion and conference realignment. He's done everything right, and now that YouTube channel is a monster. So now let's call John Kurtz in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, what's up, Fitz? The golden voice of John Kurtz. Hello, my friend. (laughs) I appreciate that. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm really good. Just... I got back from vacation. I'm like, I got two more weeks of uh, Life of Fist to do. And then I realized, oh, it's Wednesday. I was supposed to have one ready for this morning. So I appreciate you hopping in. It's kind of funny. I was like, oh, I'm still mentally on vacation. I'm glad I had you 
in my back pocket, so to speak. Hey, no problem at all, man. I get it. I, I'm, I'm uh, getting to that point myself where there's so much going on. Like you get a little lost in the, the day to day of it all. So yeah. happy to happy to help out, man. Well, how long were you at Cayman? Let's start there. Boy, I was there. So I started as an intern at Cayman in 2009 um, when I saw like a random job posting on the JMC, the old K-State JMC website and uh, started as an intern for good old Rob Velker. Love that guy Um, back in the day. And then I was full time in 2011. I graduated on Saturday, started full time on Monday and I left in October of 21. So it was basically like a solid decade of working there full time and like 13 years in some capacity. That's incredible. I mean, that and it's a great crew there. I mean, it's gone through some transition of, you know, who's leading the charge, but it's it's always been a really great group of professionals. But while you're working there, you're thinking traditional radio, right? Play by play, you're going to move up through the ranks. And you're you're kicking ass with the you were really good on the daily talk show, um, and did you think that's where your career was going to be? Absolutely. Like I, you know, the game has changed so much since I first started in school, and I. So I grew up like, I mean, I was a K-State fan indoctrinated from the word go. Like my grandpa was a professor at K-State for decades. My grandparents still live there in town. My dad went to school there. Um, So like I was going to games literally from the age of like one year old. Um, I was born the year Snyder got there. So like all I ever wanted to do was really be the K-State play-by-play voice at first. I mean, I I idolized Mitch Holtis, but really Greg Sharp because when I, so born in 89, like when I was really coming into like, you know, just knowing what was going on with everything. Like Greg Sharp was that dude. And he was he's so good, man. I still like, I, I don't know that there's anybody out there doing uh, college play by play better than Greg Sharp. I would agree. And um, so I, that was what I wanted to do. And then I got into school and I was like, look, I mean, Wyatt's um, I was like, Wyatt, I know he's going to be doing this for a while. Like I'm totally cool going off and doing uh, a different school and maybe coming back someday. So like my thought was always like, that was the goal when I was in school, I need to be a, a college play-by-play guy. And then you get into the business and man, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about the business and there, there is good and bad. And uh, I'm not really bitter, but it's just, it's hard. Um, especially those college play-by-play jobs. Like they're just getting, so scarce and people stay in them for a really long time. And there's a lot of politics that goes into like who gets the job. It's not really a meritocracy, you know, it's so much based on who, you know, and who they can sell to the fan base. And it just, over time, I kind of figured out that that maybe was not going to be the best route um, to get to where I wanted to go. And so things started to evolve, but yeah, it went from wanting to do play by play uh, on the radio above anything to wanting to do TV play by play, which I, I have had the opportunity to do a decent amount of, Um, but again, tough to find a full-time job there to then like, Hey, maybe I want to do like traditional radio sports talk job, but then the pandemic happens and really hurt the radio industry. So it's just a lot of things kind of pushed me into the, uh, the direction that I eventually went. But yes, my original goal was I, I really, uh, the nostalgia in me loves the old school, like just the radio play by play for, for college football and college hoops. And you'd be really good at that, but eventually and believe me, I know this more than anyone else. The world of journalism has evolved so much from those traditional roles. Um, and you went into corporate PR. Uh, first of all, are you enjoying that? When you left Manhattan, you 
took a, you took a, uh, I hope you don't have to wear a tie every day kind of job, uh, <laughs> but it was, had to be a radical change for you from going from, you know, talking into a microphone all day to doing, you know, PR type stuff. It was, it was, it was uh, pretty scary. It was pretty intimidating, uh, at first, just being completely honest because like the, the radio lifestyle that you get used to is like, you know, I mean, I'm rolling in in shorts and a, and a t-shirt every single day. Like, uh, by the end of it, I was doing a lot of work at home because of the pandemic and then just coming in for a couple hours into the studio. So yeah, going back to like a more buttoned up kind of role in the corporate world, I did not know what to expect at all, but you know, I, for one, I, I do actually enjoy it a lot more, I think, than I than I thought I would. Um, it is fun kind of being, I'm sort of on the other side now. It's like I, I understood a pretty good understanding of how the media game worked as far as the media goes. And now I'm trying to play it on the other side to, to gain coverage. And that's been really fun to figure out and make new connections. I think it's pushed me to, to really grow just as a, as a human being quite a bit, um, just developing a lot of different skill sets that have been really good for me. And the biggest thing for me was it just provided kind of a better equation for happiness in my life. I mean, I was really driving myself crazy there for a long time with the job market and not quite having the success that I wanted, getting really close to a couple of jobs that I really wanted um, in radio. And, I, you know, not, not too much of a secret really where I wanted to be with that. I wanted to be back home in, in Kansas City. And eventually, it, you know, um, got me a job that, I mean, one <laughs> pays, pays better for sure. And that's, that's no knock against the radio industry, oh, but that's just the reality be. of the situation. You could uh, probably uh, pick up trash and be pay, be paid better than radio and newspaper nowadays. Yeah. I mean, people would, I, my, my first, my first job paid like 24 or five. So yeah, it was a uh, radio's radio's a tough go of it, yeah. but I, and look, I, Manhattan broadcasting treated me phenomenally. And I, I, none of it is like, Hey, Manhattan broadcast. No, it's just, well, that's the reality of working in a small market in radio. And I, I fully understood that. And uh, a lot of the perks outweighed that. I mean, for 10 years, I got to travel everywhere that K-State played a football game. Um, that, that was pretty great. If you would have told childhood me that that's what I would have done. I mean, I would have said what, what could possibly be better, but you know, you get older and right. mature and I needed to be, I love Manhattan, but I needed to be in a, in a bigger city. I mean, I grew up in Kansas city. I wanted to be back. So anyway, this, this opportunity afforded me the chance to be back and just put together. I always view it like just kind of a happiness equation for life. Whereas, you know, I wasn't getting to go on the air and do a radio show every day, which was so fun. I mean, I loved the two hour radio show every single day. It was a blast. Um, but for me, it's, a better financial situation. I'm living in downtown Kansas city. Now it's just, uh, there's a lot going on. It's really fun. I'm back with friends and family, um, especially with some family things that have happened lately. It's been really nice just to be in the same city. Um, and it's just given me more opportunities to grow, I think, uh, personally than I, than I would have had in Manhattan. So, um, it's, it's really, I'm, I'm in a pretty good position these days. I really enjoy what I'm doing. It's a lot. I will say it's a lot to take on all the the broadcasting stuff that I'm still doing and some of the content production that I'm doing. And there are times where I'm like, man, I just want to go, go, go because I know I'm good at it. And I know like what, you know, what notes to hit, uh, so to speak in a lot of ways. And sometimes I have to just back off and be like, Hey, you don't have the bandwidth to do quite everything that you want to right now, but it, it satisfies kind of both sides of that. And so, uh, honestly, I can say I'm, I'm in a much better place. I, I think than I was toward, toward the end there in Manhattan. Well, I really want to talk a lot about the YouTube stuff, but uh, let's let's backtrack a little bit in the fact that I, I find it intriguing 
how quickly you got to the phase of I get to do all this cool stuff, but it's still a job. And and it's hard to explain to outsiders that going to K-State games and, yeah, it's cool, but you're there for work. And it kind of takes some of the luster off of it. You don't, you don't get to tailgate. You don't get to do a lot of those things. I mean, when you were doing Paracat Game Day Live, you were – tied up four hours before kickoff. So it, it's just, uh, it, it takes something you absolutely love and turns it into a job and that's good, but it's also bad, isn't it? There is uh there's definitely some, some love hate there with that. Yeah. I mean, like it, it was, like I said, to me, the, the biggest perk of the job, I think uh, out of everything that I did was power cat game day and getting to go particularly on the road, especially like the beginning of that, man. I mean, I stepped in in 2011 was my first year, my first road trip. I will never forget. It was going to Miami. Um, I, I remember being in a, in a hotel room oh, with, man. uh, with good old, yeah, good old Corey Dean, Matt Walters, Bill Williams, like all four of us crammed into one hotel room in Miami. Uh, speaking of radio budget, I definitely, uh, I definitely remember that. Um, but it was just, it was a blast And the 2011 and 2012, like traveling around, I was just kind of like pinching myself. Like, this is amazing, but yeah, it, it long days. I mean, they're like 14, 15 hour days on a game day because I was at that time, not just doing pregame radio, but we were also doing a bunch of postgame video. So it was like, by the time I was finishing my video stuff, we were always the last people to leave yep. the stadium, like always the last. So you're, if it's an 11 AM game, like it's a, like a four thirty five o'clock wake up call. Usually we're driving 15, 20 minutes somewhere, getting everything set up. You're on the air by seven and you're not leaving the stadium until maybe like six or seven o'clock at night. The last people walking out there. I mean, they're, they're long, exhausting days. And then you do that timeline. If it's a night game, you're walking out of there at midnight, one o'clock. I mean, shoot, probably yeah, closer to like one o'clock, a lot of places uh, getting out late there. So there's give and take with it. But I think that's sort of the beauty of the job. There's always going to be another guy that wants to do that and wants that perk. So you you go through and do it while you can and do it as much as you can. And uh, for me, that was a long time. And I still enjoy doing all that by the end of it. But you're right. As you get you get older. Like when I was young, I didn't really care about anything, but K state sports. And then you get older and you start to want more out of life, different things out of life and your priorities change a little bit. And it makes in some ways that, that job a little bit more untenable. So, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for the guys that are, that are still out there doing it. And there are certainly ways that that you can do it um, effectively. It just kind of got to the point for me with a lot of different factors in my life that it wasn't, it wasn't quite working out anymore. It it's exhausting. And, and how many times I've had people say, so do you fly with the team? No, I, <laughs> I'm usually still working in the press box when I see on Twitter that the team has arrived home. So I wish I did because I'd be home, but no, we're, we stay and fly like any other traveling monkey and I wish I could fly with the team, but they don't even let Matt Walters on those flights, which is really smart on their part. I think that's a good call. Yes, that's a good call. (laughs) Um, Let's get into the YouTube stuff. When did you launch your YouTube channel and when did you get serious about it? Yeah, there's a, what I always tell people, because I've had a lot of people come to me and say like, you know, how did this happen? It's kind of, people always talk about like, you know, the overnight success thing. And I feel like a lot of um, people's responses to that would be like, man, I worked like, 10 years to be an overnight success. There's a lot that goes into it. Now mine wasn't 10 years, although really I would say a lot of the success that I've had is just because I did for a decade, I was in the content game on a daily basis, like doing a two hour radio show. I, one of the most misunderstood things I think in 
media is like, it is so easy to listen to somebody on the radio and be like, Oh, that guy's an idiot. That sucks. Like how hard could that be? You just get in and talk. I challenge anybody go sit down in a room, put a microphone on, put a timer on like, Hey, you got to go for the next two hours. Or even if you just want to do a, a 10 to 15 minute segment and be entertaining for, uh, for that, that amount of time. It is not easy. It's not um, at all. And doing a two hour radio show in Manhattan in the summer uh, or during COVID we used to, I'll never forget our outlines every day when we were doing the show during COVID, we kept a tracker of how many days it had been since a live sporting event had been played. We got over a hundred. I don't remember what it was, you know, and we're still trying to find ways to produce content. And I feel like that's, that's some of honestly, my proudest work is uh, the fact that we, we kept the show really entertaining through all that. So long ways to say, I guess I did really have 10 plus years in it that kind of led to that success. But even with the YouTube thing, it was probably two, two and a half years in having a YouTube channel that things really popped. I mean, I started basically just taking some of my better takes. I thought from the radio show that day and popping them onto YouTube as, as often as I could, but kind of sporadically, I had maybe 2000 followers, something like that. It was making me maybe like 50 bucks a month. I mean, it was really nothing, but I was kind of just, doing it for exposure more than anything else. I wasn't even really thinking of it as like a money thing. I was thinking, Hey, here's more people beyond just the the listening audience in Manhattan. that could hear some of my stuff. And another day that I'll never forget was driving into the Manhattan broadcasting parking lot and seeing, uh, I think it was a text that I got from somebody that said, Hey, is this true? Uh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. And I was like, well, what is this? We had a whole show planned. It was like 20 minutes before a show started. And I was like, okay, well that, that changes some things. And after that day, I, I took the best take about conference realignment, put it on YouTube and it had realignment, the title. I think it was even still about K state. It said like, what is K state going to do with the latest round of conference realignment? And that thing popped for like, I don't know, 20, 30,000 views, something like that. And I'd never had anything get more than maybe two or three. And so I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. And uh, I just started leaning into it and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't like great content. I was using like a little webcam, um, nothing, nothing super sophisticated at all, but found the topic that was really interesting to people. And it just took off like wildfire. And that, that summer, like July, cause that would have been what July, 2021, um, August, 2021, maybe. I mean, I just remember every day getting on there, putting a video up and just watching the numbers go up like crazy. Um, I, I didn't it expect it at all. I'd yeah, go to your didn't. channel and go, look at this. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. The, the You just hit the nerve. You you walked into the old West town before everyone else arrived and put your saloon right in the corner. And it just blew up. It's It's been incredible to watch your traffic. And, well, you're really good at it. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, but, oh, that realignment, people... I'm so sick of it. And then you look at your views like, well, people aren't really that sick of it. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because I, I kind of have that same thought myself sometimes where I'm like, okay, we've been doing this big 12 pack 12 thing for a year. You know, we're kind of like rehashing the same storylines over and over. And you're like, man, I'm sick of this. But then it is endlessly entertaining every day I get on Twitter and there's something where I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's a really funny joke. That's a funny meme. Here's a good angle on this. Like, you, you kind of can't stop yourself and people are still interested in it and you continue to see the numbers go up and build the community. And, you know, I mean, for me, it was kind of like I worked for a really long time and just poured my heart and soul. I felt like into the, the radio business, the radio show, trying to, to, you know, like everybody, I was trying to move up the chain and I always felt like 
once again, nothing against Manhattan at all, but I always felt like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. And I feel like I should have a bigger audience and a bigger reach than this. And so it was just in a weird way, like just vindicating for me that, that that took off. And I had an audience of people across the big 12 that thought the same thing. Like, Hey, this guy actually is pretty good at this. Um, so yeah, all of it was just really cool. Kind of surreal, surreal still, um, when I think about it and you know, now you're just so in the weeds every day of trying to create content and, uh, keep all that going while, while maintaining a full, uh, 40 hour week job. So sometimes you don't take a step back to think about it, but when I do, um, it's crazy, completely unplanned. I mean, I was, I was in the process of trying to interview for other jobs outside of the industry, just to go take a corporate job when, uh, the YouTube stuff happened. And interestingly enough, I actually had a, <laughs> the, a job interview at the place I ended up working for, um, right before conference realignment happened, right before Texas and Oklahoma left. And I was ready to take the job, thought I was going to get it. I didn't. And I was very disappointed. So then realignment happens. I started building up the YouTube channel. And like four months later, they came back to me and said, Hey, first guy didn't work out. Do you want the job? Here's a more money to take it. And B now I had this YouTube channel to, to take with me. Whereas I kind of thought maybe I'll just get out of the the sports broadcasting thing total. So there was, there was a lot of fortune. A lot of things fell into place that have, that have worked out really well. Oh, you're not walking away from that YouTube channel. It's turned into a monster, hasn't it? It has. I mean, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And I, I just love, I mean, it's not just the, I mean, it's nice that it turns into a really good side hustle and makes some money. And um, obviously like scratches the, the itch of like feeling a little bit more validated in the work that I'm doing, but just beyond that, like it's, it's a cool community. Like you, you get to know some of the people that are in that and it's now not just K-State folks who I, I love and I genuinely love all the people that really supported the radio show for all those years. But now you've got people like that from across the big 12 right. and uh, especially with the, the new schools coming in, you know I mean? BYU fans, Cincinnati fans, like you just have people in those, those pockets and they appreciate the channel so much. And I, the newcomers, I appreciate a lot because that you can just tell how much it means to them to be in a, in a power five conference. And it was just this moment of like everybody banding together, looking around like, man, this is BS. Like what's happening to the big 12 and realignment. These are great fan bases, passionate fan bases and places that deserve to still have a seat at the table in college football. And so it was kind of like you were, maybe a poor analogy, but it was kind of like you were going to battle right. with all these people, no. you know, you're, you're locked into it every day, ready to go to battle uh, for the conference. And so just having some of that camaraderie that developed with all of that, I, I feel like it's, it's, there's almost like a little bit of a, a band of brothers thing with everybody on big 12 Twitter and, and people on the channel and the other channels, like the 365 guys that do a great job on YouTube, like just the whole ecosystem, you know, it's been, it's been crazy how all that's worked out, but uh, very cool. And just, makes you feel good makes you feel like you were part of something yeah it's it's absolutely amazing it, it, when i say this but i truly believe this the best thing to happen to the big 12 was oklahoma and texas leaving it had this galvanizing effect and now the remaining schools are so locked in on the same page in the same direction it's been really good for this conference and that's why the conference is still standing no doubt i mean in a weird, like, it's a tough one, right? It is a tough equation because you say, well, without Texas and Oklahoma, are you ever going to be a part? You know, we're turning into this big two, power two, and everybody else sort of an environment in, in college football, at least. Now, college basketball, with what your mark is doing, I think the Big 12 has a lot of room to grow there and could really 
stamp itself as firmly the the third best conference in the country. I mean, that's, I guess you got to watch the YouTube show if you want uh, more on that. But <laughs> at the same time, you're, you're, you're right. Like I have never seen this league come together this way. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's been the story since 1996 or 94 when they really started planning the big 12. Right. I mean, it never seemed like, anybody was on the same page and whether we were actively thinking about Texas leaving being a threat, like tomorrow, I think you always kind of knew in the back of your mind, like this conference crumbling obviously is uh, very much a possibility. We almost saw it happen in, you know, 2010, 2011, when they came really close to all going to the PAC 12 back then. So you always knew it was a threat. You always had jokes at the expense of the big 12. I mean, that's maybe the most impressive thing that's happened to the league is not just how everybody has come together, but it's just the narrative shift and how now, the, the big 12 is like lauded as this forward thinking conference. That's actually in a bit of a position of power. And it's easy to forget that like it was, I mean, it was the punchline. It was the low hanging fruit in college athletics for a long time to just make fun of the big 12 uh, for whatever reason, even with Oklahoma going to the, the college football playoff every single year, it was so easy to just take shots and, and make fun of the league. And that, that I think, is another piece of what galvanized everybody. It was like, Hey, like we're just, we're tired of being picked on all this time. And now our lives are on the line. What else do we have to lose? Let's go fight. And uh, that that's really been the attitude. I think that's permeated the whole conference. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, the four new schools coming in, the, the ones that are in starting this fall, they all brought their own flavor to the conference, but they all have the same. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of the outcast. You know, like we're the, we're the little guy or in BYU's case, they're the ones that have been excluded for other reasons. But every school fit the mold. Houston had reasons to have a chip on its shoulder. UCF sits there in the shadow of other Florida schools. It, it They just came in and fit right in. And it's just been really good. And by the way, BYU's fan base is crazy. Do Every time I do a BYU video, it's like, okay, well, that's a lot of views for me. That's amazing. But it's it, it having that energy brought to the conference really helped. Yeah. BYU, huge fan base, like national fan base. Um, I can remember one of the early reports that they were the school that, that actually was really additive to the Big 12 uh, TV deal when, when they came in. Um, so really it's been a pretty symbiotic relationship, I think, between the two where like that, they may have helped the big 12 more than anybody, uh, in a time of need. And it was a perfect relationship because they, they needed that opportunity and that platform. And now it's, I mean, it's worked out swimmingly for them, uh, to come in now and see the conference turn into, uh, to what it has been. So yeah, I mean, you're right. Similar vibe. I mean, the, the schools that are left behind the, the so-called hateful eight, right? I mean, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, K state, uh, very, very similar Texas tech. You know, I think you could lump them yep. in with that. Very similar Baylor. I mean, we talk a lot about at K state about, you know, doing, uh, doing more with less and Baylor. I, mean, I think about what Baylor was when I was growing up and, and them coming into the conference and now they've won a national championship and they've had multiple 12 win seasons in football. And yet still we're in this position where nobody wanted them in realignment. So you can imagine the chip on your shoulder that that really creates. Right. So everybody just had reason to be in a, in a position like that. West Virginia had been passed over in realignment before. Like it was not their first rodeo uh, going through the realignment thing with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Uh, and that's a pretty proud program with a lot of tradition um, as far as their football and, and basketball for that matter go. TCU had to come up the hard way, you know, through the group of five and really earn their way into the big 12. So you can just go down the list. Like every single school that is there was in a very similar position. I mean, <laughs> 
outside of maybe Kansas. And they were the ones that uh, seemed to be probably last on board to really coming uh, locking arms with everybody when, when stuff went down. But uh, you know, I think we all, we all probably know how both of us uh, feel about that. <laughs> it, it has been incredible to watch this conference get unified and Kansas finally buy in when they found out that big 10 really wasn't interested in them. But I've always said that uh, this existing structure of the big 12, it, the, the backbone of it runs Ames, Manhattan, Stillwater, Lubbock. I mean, it's it's all four of those schools are ag-based schools. They all have similar, you know, worldviews, if you want to say it that way, certainly similar athletic departments. And I feel like that's the heart and soul. And that's nothing against Baylor or West Virginia or TCU or Kansas. It's just kind of what I feel about the conference. This is the land-grant conference with other schools. And it's it's a spirit of ag that it's hard to explain, but you can feel it in the Big 12. I, I like that. I've never actually thought about it that way, but I, I think you're right. And especially if you're, if you want to lock in on like K-State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and you're thinking back to like the original roots, the OG roots of the conference, you know, in the big eight. Um, and even, even back beyond that, like those schools being involved there, like that's, that's really the the thread that kind of ties everything together through all the different iterations of the league. So I'm with you and, and all schools that, have had their moments to, to really beat their chest here recently and feel like they should uh, deserve more respect. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, Oklahoma state, like Oklahoma state still, I think kind of a criminally underrated football program and what Mike Gundy has done came within an eyelash of a national championship. Once upon a time, we know about K state's brushes um, with a national championship and coming very close there and uh, a lot of success to celebrate both in the like kind of, medium term past and, and then the near past here. Um, and you know, Iowa state, even like the run that they had in the COVID year with, with Matt Campbell, you know, we take plenty of shots at Iowa state, but their, their football program on the rise and a basketball program that seems to win the big 12 tournament, um, basically every single year. So yeah, a lot, a lot of similarities there. And who needs a big time bowl game or success when you have Matt Campbell? I mean, that, that <laughs> is like a national championship trophy. Well, we know that they're, they're not competing for the championship trophies, right? I mean, he said it. So uh, that's, I guess he is the championship. You're right. He kind of anointed himself there. <laughs> hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So through all of this, it's been hectic, but when it came to this round... It turned nuts. This whole thing with the Pac-12, and honestly, because Brett Yormark is such a different leader for the Big 12 than what we've seen in the past, mostly because for all the criticism we've had of former commissioners, let's be honest, they were under Texas's thumb. They couldn't do anything without Texas's blessing because Texas always kept a voting block in its back pocket that could negate everything. But Brett Yormark's the first one that's been free of that. And, brother, he's been a revelation for this conference. 
But this whole thing with the Pac-12 turned into an adventure. It turned into, it got personal. It got ugly. It, I never envisioned it being this way. Uh, but it's good to be able to say we were right. Because basically everything you said on your show and I said on ours and a lot of people said came to pass. It came exactly to pass, exactly how we thought it would. It just took longer. But, boy, this Pac-12 phase of this um, got a little meaty. And it's unfortunate that a great conference is going to be wiped out. Yeah, I mean, let me let me say that first before I say everything else. Like, I am very much not a fan of what is happening with the sport, like a global picture of what is going on. It is not good to get away from the regionalization here. It is not good for longstanding conferences to die. It is not good for consolidation up at the top. Um, it's taking away a lot of the idiosyncrasies and rivalries and things that make college football great and, and made it as popular as it is. And maybe there's going to be a rebound effect on down the line if a lot of that gets lost and we don't have as, as wide of an audience, but that really remains to be seen. But so from that standpoint, like I'm, you know, that's what was frustrating. It was like, we all wanted to celebrate in big 12 country and, and frankly deserved to, to celebrate and beat our chests a little bit. But it was with this backdrop of like everybody weeping tears for the PAC 12. And it was, it was not that I'm not sensitive to that. And particularly Oregon state and Washington state, Stanford and Cal, I mean, Stanford's got a $37 billion endowment. Like, cry me a river. I'm not worried about Stanford and Cal. But Oregon State and Washington State, that's a bummer because we know K-State very easily could have been there not once but twice. I mean, you've been staring that fate in the mirror a couple of times and uh, almost got left out. So I, I very much feel for them. I don't like what is happening from a global perspective. But, man, again, this goes back deeper than just the last two years 10 years, 15 years, the big 12, just being a punching bag and Dan Beebe and all the mismanagement and never just horrible marketing. I mean, one thing Brett Yormark has really highlighted is how terrible of a job the big 12 did for a long time, just in marketing itself. Just no effort there really at all. And they have, they have completely changed that around. And it, it, there's nothing that has been as more satisfying to me in recent memory than reading some of these like postmortem articles that have come out on the PAC 12, where, yeah, like you said, it's like bullet point by bullet point. Like, okay, well, Big 12's Twitter said this. Now we're seeing it corroborated through multiple sources. Big 12 Twitter said this. Now we're seeing that corroborated through multiple sources and different articles. Ross Dellinger, The Athletic, The LA Times had a great one the other day. It's like everything. I can remember one of the things that bothered me the most is I was like screaming. I was like, look, Klievkov, clearly these, these guys like thought that they were getting like 50 million a piece early on. They set the bar way too high and – those expectations were one of the biggest things that led to the downfall here and, and what happened with the TV deal. And now we're seeing that over and over again, and that it may have even come from just a professor that told it to uh, one Pac-12 president who I can only assume was Michael Crow at Arizona state, but I, I, I don't know that for sure. Um, so anyway, it's it, very vindicating for big 12 Twitter that was mocked called 12 and on, you know, I mean, just called names and, and not just by Twitter folks, you know, I mean, it was like, look, I hate to single a guy out, but like John Canzano, who's writing all this stuff and just being as, as arrogant as possible, an Oregon based writer with it all. Um, it's you deserve that moment to kind of gloat here and be like, look, dude, you were wrong and pretty emphatically and loudly wrong. So that that in itself turned into kind of a frustration for me where it's like, you know, we endured years and years of this and then two years of a really intense cycle back and forth. And we're all right. 
And now at the moment when you want to kind of celebrate it, you, you do have a crowd looking down on you like, oh, how can you celebrate this happening to the game? It's like, man, dude, just let me celebrate a Big 12 dub for once. Like yeah. this, this just does not happen uh, very often. But the whole saga really was a pretty fascinating, whether or not you're really like into realignment or not, pretty fascinating case study and kind of like what humanity has turned into now because it really was like a political debate, right? Like yep. two sides and different, different media outlets that are framing the same thing in completely different ways, uh, talking to sources who are all trying to manipulate things one way or the other. And I'm not saying this was one-sided, by the way. I think Brett Yormark and the Big 12 did a really good job of using the media to help themselves right. uh, in a lot of cases. And then the Pac-12 was trying to do the same thing unsuccessfully on the other side. So just basically, if you want a great encapsulation of like what life is like, what society is like in, in America in 2023, you need to look no further than the Big 12 and the Pac-12 over the last year, or even if you want to stretch it back to two years. It, it used to be debates like this, whether they're political or in this case, athletic, it, the two sides had their own opinions. Now it's like these debates are the two sides had their own facts. Yeah, you know, they're just totally different and contradictory, but we totally believe this information and you're wrong. And I just kept coming back to, well, I, I, I know we're not wrong. I, I We've been through this too often to fall for the stuff the Pac-12 has. Let's be blunt. I mean, whether you're media covering the realignment, fans observing the realignment, or certainly administrators being in the middle of realignment, the Big 12 has battle scars, and they've been in – in these battles before. And so we recognize some things that weren't, no, that's not how it's going to work out. And it, it's just the naivety of some of the PAC 12 folks, as you mentioned, well, one professor says we're worth 50 million. Well, you sit down with the, you know, it's like walking into a job and they're going to, they're going to pay you a hundred K and that's great. But you like, well, I'm worth 250. And they're like, okay, see you later. We're done. I mean, there's no more to talk about. When you give do something outlandish like saying, well, thanks for $30 million per school, but we think we're worth 50, you know, Fox and ESPN were like, wrong, we're done. And, you know, and it was just like, what? who's leading this conference and how lost are they? But it just got, you know, that we were just making stuff up. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's like, you know, I, I don't like to say his full name, Tony. Uh, just just got so ugly. He was a hired gun that was literally spraying Twitter bullets at anyone who dared to doubt him in any way. And it just it, it got ugly. But I, you and I don't shy away from those phrases. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I, I kind of can't help it. That's especially doing 10 years of a, of a talk show where, like, your job is to give an opinion every day. I mean, it it gets pretty hard to, to shut off the spigot sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, there were times where I was kind of, like, looking around where, you're, you know, sometimes you can feel like you're right about something. But if someone is, like, so vehemently disagreeing with you and being like, no, you are absolutely wrong, like, sometimes you will kind of – take a little bit of a step back and be like, I mean, I'm right. Right. Like, am I like, you know, causes a little bit of doubt in there. So there were a few moments where I was like, God, I mean, I feel like we are right here, but I just don't know because there's so much of this going on. But I think your point about the back scars is so poignant there because to me, one of the biggest cruxes of what happened is that the PAC 12 attacked this like, Hey, we're going to close the gap on the big 10 and the sec. That's our goal. Uh, when Larry Scott took over as commissioner, we were the, conference that was making the most money out of anybody were the conference of champions. Uh, we're proud. We should be in the same breath here. We're going to go 
fight that battle and make sure that we get there. Whereas the big 12 looked at it and said, look, we've been beaten to within an inch of our, our own death multiple times here. This is about surviving. We're, we are not closing the gap on those two. That is not the position that we are in. We're this uh, kind of island of misfit toys cast off where we've got to just fight for every last inch. We are going to survive. And so that means taking a TV deal that's paying you $31.7 million a school as opposed to thinking, well, no, we're going to get to 50. And we're going to try and stop UCLA from leaving. I mean, that. That's one of the most unbelievable things I think that's come out lately. The LA Times article that Kleevkov was really operating on this principle of, hey, the Board of Regents told me if I can get UCLA $52 million a year, they may stop them from going to the Big Ten. And then he's publicly making comments about how they're going to catch up to the SEC and the Big Ten financially, which at the time, again, I said, that's ridiculous. Why are people not making a bigger deal of this? And I feel very vindicated in that now after the fact because – Look at what's been reported. They were chasing the complete wrong thing here. They were going, they were shooting way too high. And that those public comments should have been just a glaring red warning sign that this is going to end poorly uh, for the PAC 12. Whereas your mark understood the, uh, not only the stability that comes with the TV deal, but also I think had a really good understanding of where the, the landscape was going to go with streaming, cutting back. It's just like the spigot of money has been cut off for, um, live TV. And he did a much better job of seeing the field on that. He, I know he did the Marshan and Oran podcast the other day and kind of downplayed that a little bit, like saying, Hey, you know, we got a little bit lucky there. I don't know, man. I, I'm Bullshit. inclined he to say, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm inclined to say that that guy with his background of, uh, just exploding the popularity of NASCAR, moving the nets from, New Jersey to Brooklyn, that guy doesn't think small. And that guy has connections everywhere in the TV and entertainment industry. And I guarantee you, he had people in his ear saying like, Hey man, this is definitely what you should do because it's not going to be a great landscape out here. I think he's got a great nose for it. He's more connected than, than Klyavkov was. And he was just playing uh, kind of a tired analogy sometimes, man, but he was playing 40 chess. Whereas George Klyavkov and the PAC 12 were trying to play checkers. Like I think at the end of the day, that's 100% what it is. And I would also give a shout out to just the big 12 presidents um, and board for being humble enough to say, we need to go hire Brett Yormark and not thinking like, Oh, let's get another, you know, kind of stuffy longtime administrator guy to lead the conference. Right. This was the moment to go hire somebody like Yormark. And so I, I do give them a lot of credit for doing that too, which was the catalyst for everything. What I kept coming back to, and I, I think our friends at um, Sikkim 365 did a really good job with the, breakdown analysis of this is they weren't nobody from the Pac-12 was stopping to think about okay so ESPN um, on a given Saturday can kick off and I'm going to talk in central time here 11 237 you know they, there's only like four slots there and they have ESPN 2 and they have you know whatever else news or whatever they else use for programming Fox only has two platforms there's ABC and there's only so many slots for football games to fill on these linear channels and with the Big Ten at 16, meaning eight conference games a week, and the SEC at 16 with eight conference games a week, there wasn't inventory or space for more inventory once the Big 12 signed with ESPN and Fox. They just closed them out. And from that point on, it was unless they pulled a miracle Apple deal with the CW, which we made fun of those things. But in hindsight, that might have worked um, to save them unless they created more 
time slots to fill. They, there just wasn't any place for them to go. They were locked out of the marketplace. Yeah, and again, that, that was a pretty telegraphed thing and a pretty easy thing to see if you were willing to see it. <laughs> and and that I think was right. was really the problem. And and if you were humble enough to see it, because once again, I think a lot of the arrogance came into play here where it's like, well, you know, whatever they, I saw it in some of the, and I look, I respect John Wilner a lot. I think he's a really good journalist. Um, but I, I very much remember him writing multiple times, the big 12 set the floor for the PAC 12 and undercut their value by taking this TV deal. And I kept thinking the whole time, I'm like, dude, that that's basically what both conferences are worth. I don't, I just very much, um, disagreed with that statement and that sentiment, which was coming out of the PAC 12, they thought that the big 12 really kneecapped them by taking the deal that was not anywhere close to the $50 million a year. And instead that was, that was the big 12 actually taking like a, a a realistic number there. So it was really, I mean, just the the PAC 12 variants thinking that they would still be deserving of more money or that Apple or Amazon was going to save them. And then, you know, I mean, one of the key things to me throughout all of it was listening to Andrew Marshand and John O'Rand who are, they're guys that cover the media industry. They don't like Andrew Marshan. I've actually gotten to know a little bit through this. That's been one of the cooler things because I, I respect him a lot. That's a guy. He lives in New York. Like he works for the New York post. Like what is, what does he care about the big 12 or the PAC 12? Like he doesn't have a dog in this fight. Um, he's just reporting based on the media industry. And those guys over and over again said, like, we don't, they kind of threw their hands up. Like we don't know where this is going to come from. They can go Apple or Amazon, but Amazon doesn't seem likely. And Apple is going to want control of the whole thing. They're going to move on a slow timeline. They're not going to like acquiesce to demands like the the June 30th deadline that San Diego State has for expansion, for example. They're not going to do this in a way that's conducive to you like actually getting it done in, in a productive way that's going to satisfy everybody in the league. And that was another easy thing to look at the whole time was just them stating the reality of the actual media industry, whereas the Pac-12 was just kind of living in la-la land thinking that they were going to be able to save themselves. And I think, honestly, it was even – look, the CW is actually a better option than people made it out to be. But still, if you're having to dip down into the CW and Ion TVs of the world, which was another one that got reported at one point by Brett McMurphy, who's a, he's a good reporter. Like that, that, I'm sure that was happening. When you're having to dip down into that – like. Yeah, things aren't going well. Like that's that's not option one or option two. And you know, Michael Crow at Arizona State, he can say whatever he wants about. You know, he's still out there talking about this Apple TV deal this week. He can say whatever he wants about it, but it, it may well be the wave of seven or eight years from now. But right, right now, you still need to be on ESPN and Fox. Like you still need that. Um, I know that's what like Washington has kind of come out and said like trying to sell it to Kalen DeBoer was a no go. Like the coaches didn't want that because they knew it would be a recruiting nightmare. Like you just we weren't quite ready for that. You needed the linear presence. And another thing, by the way, really frustrating that we were right about at the time. Colorado leaving, seeing the reporting now, that screwed the Pac-12 out of a linear deal that they may have been able to present at the last minute. The reporting on that is that they had something close that would have at least been maybe a somewhat tolerable option. Uh, not great for the Pac-12, but perhaps good enough to get it done. That would have been all linear, and some of those places backed out when they saw Colorado leaving. Like, yeah, we don't like where this is going. So, you know, when we were sold this line, oh, Colorado left, San Diego State will be an upgrade anyway. You know, yep. we got that from like the Stuart Mandels of the world. Well, no, Colorado leaving actually actually hurt the league, which is what a lot of us were saying there at the time. So, anyway, just just crazy how it all worked out. Yeah, I mean, when they started just throwing Colorado under the bus and saying, oh, San Diego State's better. I'm like, oh, come on. Now, you just – that's so easily defeated by statistics and ratings that 
you've jumped the shark for me, but I think when it really turned ugly in my estimation is when the PAC 12 crowd, including some of the media members and Tony, uh, started attacking Marshan, Oran, McMurphy, Dennis Dodd um, as, you know, Big 12 mouthpieces. And I'm like, that's not at all how this works in our area of the country. I, I It was almost like they were admitting they were rooting interest of the Pac-12, um, which is fair. In the current media market, I get it. We do it. I get it. But those guys... They have no, they have nothing in this, particularly someone from New York City. They don't give a crap. They're just, they're like a scientist just viewing the situation and breaking it down for everyone. But they, those guys got attacked. I'm like, this is insane. Well, I mean, think how ridiculous of a statement that sounds based on the history of the Big 12. Like, oh, the national media is just in the back pocket of the Big 12. <laughs> like, that's the league that they're they're sticking up for above all else, you know. Like, what what are we doing here? You're right. It is a it is a ridiculous notion. Not just the the neutral guys, quite obviously, who are reporting on the media industry, Marshan and Oran, but like, you know, I mean, the national level college football reporters. We're going to say that they all had it in, like, to to help prop up the Big Twelve. Like, I, you don't have to look back that far to see the complete and total opposite, man. I mean, you know the athletic talking about picking at the big 12's carcass and running stories about the TV numbers for the big 12 compared to the AAC, all the jokes that were happening after Texas and Oklahoma. You only had to look back to 2021 to see how the national media generally just ran circles around the big 12 ready to kind of just grave dance on the league. Like, so to say that that was the, the best interest and then look at how it's turned out after the national media has just been crying about the PAC 12 dying. So I don't think it would be fair to say that they really wanted the PAC 12 to die through all of that. I mean, yeah, it was just, it was a ridiculous notion, but again, we're back to the, you know, how people behave in 2023. If you don't agree with it, then you're going to find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear and uh, turn around to the other side and say that, that you're wrong. That's, that's basically, basically how it goes. Well, uh, Stuart Mandel's, he, he was the leader of the, kind of rooting for the big 12 to go away and how the big 12 was worthless without Oklahoma and Texas. And, and, uh, and he was an absolute cheerleader for the PAC 12 and just, I lost a lot of respect there. I really did. And for someone who's as accomplished in our industry as he is, he came across as a total fanboy, uh, just a total, you know, whatever I can do to help the PAC 12 I'm in. And I'm like, I didn't, then you're kind of national media. I don't see that as your role at all. And then sometimes what frustrated me with him too was his his byline would be on a story like with Max Olson or something that would actually you'd read it and be like, well, that was actually fairly I mean, that's maybe not gloom and doom, but it's pointing out some real flaws here and what the Pac twelve has going on. And I can remember one time particularly <laughs> like calling him out on that. I was like, dude, because he would tweet something, you know, kind of homerish for the Pac-12, and I'd be like, "Man, your byline is on a story that is kind of contradicting exactly what you're saying right yeah. now." So it was just like almost, you know, even his colleagues almost nudging, like, "Hey, <laughs> this actually isn't looking very good uh, for your beloved Pac-12." So yeah, there's just a lot of that. The whole thing's weird. Let's bring this back to to my point here with you, John. I feel like. Despite leaving the industry, the traditional industry of radio and moving into corporate, what you're doing with your YouTube channel, you're actually poised better for a career move. You're more visible. You're more, 
you were doing great daily work on local radio. Nobody outside your local signal hears that. But on YouTube, everyone can trip across that. Anyone can trip across it. Do you feel like you're in a position where, like, if you wanted to get back into media full time, you're in a better spot? I think probably so. I do. Um, I mean, I, I felt, I, to be honest with you, like I, I felt pretty trapped uh, for a long time, like right. in the the situation that I was in. Once again, nothing against Manhattan Broadcasting at all. It, it was phenomenal for me. It did a lot for me to grow and develop and get to where I was and they treated me great. But at a certain point, you know, you hit a ceiling with what you can do there. And I was trying so hard to fight my way through the the job industry and just the traditional job industry was really tough. I wanted to do radio play by play. I start seeing like, Hey, these jobs aren't coming open. They're getting fewer and fewer. I remember getting to like the third round of interviews for like the number two play by play job at Florida and finding out that the job paid $19,000, no benefits. And you got to figure out how to make money the rest of the year when you're not in season. I mean, it was just crazy. Like where the industry was going. So then I'm like, well, I'll do TV play by play. And then it's like, well, you can get one off games, but they're really, they started, there were enough people and enough crews. They were hiring locally. So like it was, you could kind of just find what you could get locally. And I did some KCAC games and like, that was great. And I would get some fill in work on like ESPN stuff in the area. I did a little bit of like Wichita state, but it was, it just wasn't going to be anything that was like full time or uh, enough to really make it. And there are guys like shout out to James Westling. He's oh. grinded his way through it and has made it. I'm so happy for that guy who I used to listen to at the student radio station when I first started uh, to get better. He is deserving of every bit of success that he has, but I was looking at it like this feels like a dead end. So then I'm trying radio. I audition and interview multiple times at both of the stations in Kansas city thought really thought I was going to get one of those jobs. Didn't. And I'm just like, man, I, I don't, I don't know where to turn at this point. So I did, I felt pretty trapped by the end of my time there in Manhattan and didn't really know what I was going to do. And, uh, just kind of a stroke of fortune, I guess things, things all just work out at some point. It, it, I feel 1000% more visible right now. Um, it's more satisfying to do this right now, to know that more people are looking at it. Um, in a way it's more fun because of that. It's, it's not as free flowing as like doing the radio show was every day where I really, could take a lot of latitude and, and take chances and have a lot of fun there. And it's, you know, it's different, but it, in a way it is better. And I certainly feel like I'm much, much, much more visible. Now, is that really what the end goal is? Like what I'm trying to do, get back into the broadcast industry and go down that road. I don't really know. Like people kind of ask me that and I'm just like, I don't know. You know, I, I'm still a little leery of kind of, you know, I mean, just my mental health took a hit by the end of my time in the broadcast industry. So there's still some scars there where I'm like, I, I kind of like the situation that I'm in now where I can get the best of both worlds and uh, I'm, I'm just happier. So I'm, I'm really just going with the flow for right now. That's I don't, good. I spent a long time trying to plan out what I was going to do, what I wanted to do. I need to be here. Why am I not here? This guy, I think I'm better than this guy. And he's further in the industry than me doing all this comparison based on where I was and where I thought I needed to be. And it just wasn't very good for me. So right now I'm just, things are going pretty well with the day job. Things are going pretty well with the YouTube channel. Things are going pretty well with the, the podcast. Like I'm just kind of letting it ride. And if, if something happens, it happens. But I, I definitely do feel like if I, if I were to ever 
flip that switch again and be like, Hey, this is really what I want to do. Um, I think you're right. I probably am in a, in a better position today. Well, I've never shared this with you, but I, I see a kind of kinship with you in the fact that I was in the newspaper industry for about 10 years and I had worked my way up to be the sports editor in Salina. And at the time we had six in our sports department, then you have six at the newspaper anymore. I mean the whole newspaper, not just the newsroom. Um, and I got, I was like, there's something more here. And I left traditional journalism to get into the fan magazine business. And everyone said I was, it was crazy, but you know, it just, the evolution of the industry has been so unpredictable. And yet I could see newspapers starting to struggle. And what I didn't see is this whole YouTube thing. The, the, the amount of information the public now gleans from YouTube programming Independent programming like you're doing, maybe more organized programming, but still small media like 365 does, The Monty Show. I mean, it's it's amazing how much, and Greg Flugar, the, how these shows have grown. This grassroots culture of YouTube programming, dude, it's changing the entire sports media industry. And so many people had reached the pinnacle of their careers. Or they thought, I'm at The Athletic, I'm at ESPN, and then the massive layoffs hit. And nobody's laying you off from your YouTube channel. It's your damn channel. I mean, the only layoff you'll get is people stop watching. You don't make money, but you could still do it. it you know, and if it brings you happiness just to do it, that's cool. I mean, you're so spot on with that. And it's fun. I, can, I had a conversation recently with um, the young guy just graduated college, I think has a lot of talent in, in this sphere and in this industry and was kind of, I was asking him like, you know, what do you want to do? Are you trying to do radio? Are you trying to do TV? And um, I think he was starting to already gravitate a little bit toward the creating your own content, doing the YouTube thing. And I said, look, I don't, I, I am nostalgic about the radio industry. I've already talked about it. Like those are my roots. I, I st it holds a special place in my heart. I love it. And if, if you really want to do it, like I am not going to stop you. I would not discourage you from doing that. But if you have an inkling of like, Hey, this might be what I want to do doing this content creation thing. <laughs> I would say go attack that because that is to me, I've seen it play out in, in my life. I've seen it play out with a lot of other people like that seems to me to be the best way to do it now. And, uh, it's unfortunate that some of the traditional mediums are struggling and, um, kind of going that way, but there is always evolution with this. And this is clearly the evolution right now. And you can just reach so many more people and do your own thing and get reps. Like, I think one of the, one of the hardest things and that was, that's all it is. I got so much better as a broadcaster because suddenly Matt Walters left, came in and I was the lead host of the show at like 23, 24 years old. And I just had to come up with two hours of content and just get that rep every day of going out there and doing it. And like, that is how you get better. There is no substitute for it at all. And you can, if you're making your own show, it doesn't matter how many people are watching it. You're getting reps, you're getting better. Like that's the other part that I think can lead to it being a, being a quicker path to success. So I kind of was like, Hey, Again, if you want to do the radio thing, don't let me stop you, but I would kind of nudge you in the direction of like, keep pursuing that content creation thing. Cause that's where it's going. And I'll, I'll still, I've got to give a shout out to my guy, Carrington Harrison at uh six standing in Kansas city, because he was the one that encouraged me to start down the path of YouTube when I was still doing just K state stuff. Um, he had, he was kind of a, maybe early adopter is probably a little bit too strong, but you know, like 2016, 17, 18 in there, 
I know he started putting some stuff on YouTube and he just kind of dropped that in my ear one time. He was like, Hey, you might think about trying to put some of your content on YouTube because I'll never forget. He told me that YouTube was the number two search engine in the world behind Google. Um, now that was at the time, I think TikTok has actually surpassed that, which, you know, what statement that makes on society, I don't know. <laughs> um, but at the time I remember him saying like, Hey, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world right now. And that kind of struck a chord with me. That was the thing that kind of spurred me to actually take the jump and start doing some K-State content, at least on YouTube. And it was that that started the ball rolling on just being in the right place at the right time when realignment popped to get to, to where it is that I am today. So it's just wild, man. Life has some some crazy twists and turns and crazy paths for you. And uh, I am I will be an advocate of the content creation thing as, as much as I possibly can here. And I really try to lift other people up and th- that are doing it exactly. in the same space and try to support them as much as possible because – that's the way to do it. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of hard work. Like even with that, it's still take, it's a grind. You got to just get out there and do it and make content. So, uh, I, I try to encourage and help anybody that I can in that sphere. Well, brother, your content is really good. You can tell, um, when you sit in front of the mic and talk into a camera that you've done two hours of daily programming, cause you're very comfortable in that environment. It's, it's great stuff, John, you, you deserve this success. Well, I, I appreciate that a ton, Fitz. I, I really do. I have a lot of people to thank along the way. You know I mean? Like I, I mentioned Matt Walters multiple times, but that he was the most central figure like early on in my, my radio days in pushing me when I was just a young idiot, uh, frankly, coming out of college and didn't know what I was doing. Um, he really has been a, was a huge mentor to me early and there, you know, so many people I've tried to kind of shout those out along the way here, but I I'm actually very appreciative of the fact that you mentioned your, your journey to where you got to, because I hadn't put those pieces together, but that makes all the sense in the world that at the time, how many people were doing the, the fan magazines, you know, going the, the fan route there. And that was something totally different. So I, yeah. that gives me a new appreciation for, for your journey and, and some of the similarities that we do share there. So I, I appreciate it. I, I also just appreciate the platform and an opportunity to talk about this because I think, you know, you leave. And I, I talked about it a little bit at the end of my radio show, but sometimes I feel like, you know, you just don't get to fully explain what that journey was like and all the, the struggle that goes into it sometimes. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a little cathartic, you know, to, to talk about it. So I, I very much appreciate that. I agree, brother. Good job. Thank you for taking time to do my podcast. You were kind of the, it's kind of odd being interviewed, isn't it? It's a little different. Yeah. A little different <laughs> being on the other side, but I, I can get used to it. Yep. Appreciate it, John. You take care of yourself and keep plugging away. And, uh, your consistency has been rewarded because that's the number one key. Be consistent with whatever your schedule is. No doubt. Fitz, I appreciate it, man. Okay. Take care of yourself. Hey, take care, Fitz. We'll see you. I got to admit, I really enjoyed that. And it was less of a conversation than, you know, really just two guys who have been covering Big 12 expansion and conference realignment for years, kind of comparing notes. I'm fascinated by conference realignment, and John's done an incredible job of covering it. He's reaping the rewards of it, and it's well-earned. But conference realignment's probably not done. John's channel will thrive just talking about college sports, and we will continue to track those topics. We're coming down to the home stretch of this season of Life of Fits, and I've got one more guest to book. Who could it be? 
Gentlemen, please go score your PSA. It's a simple blood test. It helps you discover early indicators to prostate health issues, including prostate cancer. My PSA, scoring it at the right time, revealed that I had prostate cancer. That does it for this week's Life of Fits. I appreciate you listening, and I will talk to you real soon.